Corinthians chapter number 8, verse number 6. And uh, we're looking forward to it. Hey, Brother Frosley, good to see you. And uh, some of the folks are watching on live stream right now, and so I do want to say hello to all of them. And uh, pray that the Lord would bless our service this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, as you come to this portion of Scripture, we're going to look at one verse here in just a few moments, and we're going to look at three words within that verse. The first word is going to be the word Lord, the second word is going to be the word Jesus, and the third word is going to be the word Christ. Now, those are not just words, those are also titles. It's one title that is given, but also three titles in Scripture that are also given. If you go and you study the Word of God, you'll find in multiple different verses a form of the word Lord Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ or Lord. Over 81 times in the New Testament, you'll find Lord Jesus Christ that is mentioned. And so in, 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 in Scripture, you find that not only is the title Lord Jesus Christ given. Sometimes the title Jesus Christ is given. Sometimes the word or the title Lord is given. But this morning, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse number 6, if you would. That's where we will find ourselves here in just a few moments. But let's scoot on up to verse number 1 for just a moment. And we're going to read these first six verses. And I pray that as we get to verse number 6, it will be a help and an encouragement to you today. If there's one thing that I want to do this morning, it's that we would all find ourselves once again looking unto Jesus. Uh, It's so easy in the day and age in which we live in, with all of the circumstances, with all of the things going around, not only within our own personal lives, but also within society and in the world and in America and in in our culture and everything that is changing, there's one truth that we find, and that is that Jesus does not change. Our God does not change. The Bible tells us Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as you come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, the Bible says now... Verse number one, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And that there is none other God but one. What a powerful statement that alone is right there. That there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, verse number 6, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom all are all things, and we in Him and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Now this morning, I want us to find ourselves looking at that statement, if you would, Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse number 5, it goes on to remind us, as you come to this portion of Scripture, it says, how be it, or if you go, verse number 5, for though there be are, that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be many gods and lords many, but to us there is but one God. It says, though, in verse number 4, as it closes out, that it's reaffirming what we've already read in verse number 6, as in verse number 4 it says, but there is none other God but one. In verse number 6, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. 
This morning, we face unusual and uncertain times. As you wake up every single day, there are new news that you're finding going on around not only America, not only in your county, not only in this state, but as you go and you turn on the news, you might hear of things that are going around in our nation and also in this world. It's not unusual anymore. It's though as you you flip on the news or if you go and you search news or whatever the case might be, it's almost more unusual whenever something's not taking place. And I know a lot of people are finding themselves saying, well, everything is just falling apart. Is it that everything is falling apart or is it that everything is actually falling in place? You see, whenever you start to look around and you begin to see what's taking place and then you go and you find yourself reading the Word of God, it's not that everything is falling out of place, but no, the Lord is allowing things to start falling in place. Things are beginning to take place and you read the book of Revelation and you begin to see that the times that we live in are times that are signs of the end days. As you come to Scripture and you find yourself encouraged because you look unto Jesus. As we are about to move from looking unto Jesus concerning that being the theme of our church for an entire year, and as we look to take a new theme, I pray that you don't get away from that right there. You see, it's easy for us sometimes to emphasize one word or one statement or one verse or whatever the case might be, but whenever you understand that the Word of God is the Word of God and as you understand that these themes are not just so that you would have an acute statement to stay for an entire year or it's not just a, a phrase that you would use and just kind of make it a habit. No, no, this is not a phrase that we wanted you to use. It's a lifestyle we wanted you to live. You see, looking unto Jesus is not something that we just said, hey, that's the thing we're emphasizing for an entire year. No, no, no. It's something that you ought to model in your life as a child of God the rest of the days of your life. Looking unto Jesus. And the temptation this morning as you come to the house of God is to find yourself looking at your circumstances, is to find yourself looking at the unusual times that we're living in, to find yourself saying, what is going on? But the truth of the reality is this, that whenever we find ourselves in days like today, Today, in times like we are now, God says, hey, get your eyes back on me. Fix your eyes back on me. And so notice with me, if you would, these three words that are found in verse number 6 one more time. Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to, for just a few moments, take some time and look at each of these individually. You see, in Scripture, you'll find the word Lord has much meaning. It has much meaning throughout history. It has much meaning throughout the Bible. It has much meaning concerning our personal lives. The word Jesus obviously has much meaning. You come to understand that the name, the title given, Jesus, is a title, is a name that offends many. There was a time in every single one of our lives where we were offended. Because we were offended, we became uh, aware that we needed this Jesus that was being talked about. All across this world, there are people that have still never once heard the name of Jesus. The name Jesus is a name that means much. And when we find ourselves looking at the last word, the last title that is given, that title is Christ. And each of these might be together in verse number 6 here, but also not only together, but also separated, as they each mean something specific. And so notice with me, if you would, number 1, the title that is given is the title Lord. The word Lord is rich in meaning if you study it and. There is much that this title, Lord, actually deals with. Three different things that you find if you were to go and study not only the Scriptures, but also if you were to study uh, the, the history. And there's much to be found in history books concerning how they apply to the things that were of Bible times, the things that were in our Scripture as we hold it today. And this word, Lord, this title, Lord, speaks of one that is of authority. 
This is a word of authority, if you would. It speaks of ownership. It speaks of one who was a master, if you would. And so in reference to the Father who was the master, as a Christian, He is our master. We belong to Him. We come to understand that as we accept Christ as our personal Savior, that we have God the Father. He is our Lord. He ought to be Lord of our lives. And that is something that we all have to make a conscious and a serious decision about is this. Are we going to allow the Lord to truly be Lord of our lives? You see, the Lord was the master. He had complete control over whatever it was or whoever it was because he was the master of them. He was the master, the owner, if you would, the ownership. And so it's a word of authority. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verses 19 through 20, the Bible goes on to remind us of this ownership, of this authority, if you would. And it says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Notice these last three words, which are God's. You see, it's a word of authority. It's a title that is given that speaks of authority. This morning, I believe every single one of us would agree that God is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. As we continue to walk down through Scripture, you're going to find that there are many things that we will deal with this morning that the world tries to convince us otherwise. Can I share with you that we'll deal with this in just a little while, but the world wants us to believe that God is dead, that God is not working any longer. But just a few short weeks ago, I found myself praying for a lady in our church who raised her hand that wasn't saved and she didn't come forward. Two weeks later, she came forward and trusted Christ as her personal Savior. God's not dead. And you see, a couple of weeks ago, we found ourselves concerned with certain prayer requests. And just a couple of days ago, on a Wednesday night, we were reminded that, hey, God still answers prayer. You see, the world wants us to believe that our God is dead, but he's not dead. He's not dead. He's alive. And it's up to us as the children of God to remind this lost and dying world that, hey, the gods that you worship might be dead. They might not be answering prayers. They might not be saving people. They might not be doing a work, but our God is still alive. Our God is still well. Our God is still working. And so we see that this is a word of authority. The word Lord is not only a word of authority, but it's also a word of affection. You see, this word is used or was used as a word of courtesy, as respect, if you would. Uh, think about it as a, a child addressing a father a ch- or a, a student addressing a teacher, if you would. I remember a couple of years ago as I was talking to an individual, they asked that question, hey, well, why, why do you say yes, sir? Why do you say yes, man? And I just said, well, it's just something that I, I kind of picked up. It's something that I was raised to do. If someone was addressing you, you say yes, ma'am. You say yes, sir. Just the other day we were in the store and I was walking past and, and Kelly was saying something to me and, and I couldn't hear her. And so we're trying to teach our children not to say what or huh. And so we are trying to also say what we would want them to say. And so we were walking past. I couldn't hear what she was saying. And so there was a, a, a young couple that was walking past me. And I know what was going through his mind as he heard me say this. But as she was asking me something, I couldn't hear her. So I said, ma'am, just like that. The young, young couple walked by and the guy was like, you know, laughing. But it's a, it's a, it's a sign. It's a, a word of a respect, if you would. This word is not only a word of authority, but it's of affection. You see, as you make your way, go with me to the book of Matthew in just a moment. The book of Matthew helps us to understand when Peter is wanting to bid the Father, bid the Lord to allow him to come onto the water, that he calls out and says, Lord, bid me. 
First Peter chapter number one, though, Bible says in verse number three, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As you make your way to the book of Matthew for just a few moments, and in Matthew chapter number 14, as you come there, you'll come to a familiar portion of Scripture, a familiar story. We like to give Peter a hard time because when he got onto the water, he began to sink because he began to look at his circumstances. But how many times have we been guilty of the same thing? How many times have we been allowing the Lord to use us only to allow some small thing or some small distraction begin to take our eyes off of Jesus and to be placed on that distraction, to be placed on that circumstance? And we say, oh, Peter, if you were walking on the water to the Lord, why would you do that? Well, how many times every single day of our lives we have the opportunity to walk with our Savior and yet... Instead of walking with our Savior and keeping our eyes on Him, our eyes are fixed on circumstances. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 14, look with me in verse number 22, And straightway Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship, and to go before Him under the other side, and while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, He was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. They cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Notice verse number 28, what Peter says here. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked in the water to go to Jesus. You see, this is a word of affection here. This word, Lord, is a word of affection. Peter was very simply helping us to understand that his intention, his desire was, Lord, if you're there, I want to be there. Lord, if you're here, I want to be here. Lord, I want to be wherever you are. A few years ago... The Burlington Revival was taking place, and I remember it well. I remember listening to some of those services, watching some of those services, praying for that meeting. And I didn't personally have the opportunity to go to that meeting, but I do remember that there was one time where I was on the phone with my brother-in-law, and it was Zach, and we were talking, and one of the things that we were talking about is if God is working in a revival meeting, if God is working in a church, if God is working somewhere, and we are able to go and be a part of that meeting, then we want to be a part of that meeting. You see, wherever God is doing something, I want to be right there. You see, that's why within our church we're praying that God will continue what He is doing because when people are coming in contact with us, they will say things like this, Hey, we see all that God is doing in your church. We see all that God is doing at Gateway Baptist Church and we see that the teenagers are on fire and we see that all of the many things, the answers to prayer and all of those things, God is working. And I remind you today that if God is doing something, I want to be right there. As a matter of fact, I don't want to just be right there. I want to be right in the middle of it and watch all that God is doing. You see, and as a church family, and as a, as, a, as a body of believers this morning, we find ourselves saying, as Peter said right here, Lord, if you're there, I want to be there. And it's very easy for us sometimes to look at Peter and say, yeah, he walked, but notice what ended up happening. Yeah, but many of us don't have the, 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 the guts to get out of the boat and go on the water. I don't know if Brother John preached that or not. I know at one point in time he was talking about it. It's one of the things we've talked about many times as Christians. Sometimes it's, it's one of those things where we get stirred up in the house of God. As we walk out, how many times are we unchanged, unmoved, unfazed to do anything? We need Christians of action. And Peter was just that. It was a word of affection. Not only was it a word of affection, but it was also in history a word of agony. 
Now, in history, if you were to go and you were to study history, you'll find yourself coming across the Roman Empire. And who was known in the Roman Empire? Can anyone tell me? Caesar. Caesar was known in the Roman Empire. And one of the things, if you were to go and you were to study the Roman history and you were to study certain things that took place, and specifically concerning Christians, you'll find that the name Caesar would come up. And not only is it something that would come up, but there was a time each Roman citizen would be required uh, to once a year offer a pinch of incense to the statue of Caesar and say these words, Caesar is Lord. And as they would be encouraged to do this, they would be required to do this. And if they said, Caesar is Lord, this was not only something that they were required to do, but it was a test of their loyalty. And as there was a test of their loyalty, they would be encouraged to do this. And if there were some that would not do it, then they would be, uh, re- they would require them to, to, to face some consequences. And once you would go and you would give that incense, that pinch of incense, and say to that statue, Caesar is Lord then you were free to worship whoever or whatever God you wanted to. And so there were some that would go and they would pinch a little bit of incense and they would proclaim to that statue, Caesar is Lord. But there were also some that had such a strong conviction of not doing so, being Christians, that they would not even hesitate to say, we will not call Caesar Lord. You find in Roman history, if they would not do this, not only would they be in trouble, but they, some of them would die for their faith because they would not proclaim Caesar is Lord. It's very easy for us today to say, well, why wouldn't they just say Caesar is Lord? They don't have to mean it because they had such a strong conviction that they would not even allow something so defiling to come out of their mouth that would defile something so great. You see, God meant something so much more to them that they would not allow themselves to say something that would bring anything such as dishonor to the name of Christ. They had so much admiration, they had so much devotion to God that they said, no, we will not cry out that Caesar is Lord, even if it means that we will die for our faith. And the truth of the matter is we live in a society today where we're walking around and many Christians won't even acknowledge to others that they are a Christian because they're afraid of what someone might say. We're living in a day and age where it's no longer like it once was where, where Christians were willing to die for their faith. But no, now we find that many Christians are going by the wayside and saying, hey, is it even worth it any more? Well, I'll tell you what, if you have a personal relationship with God and you get in the Word of God every single day and you find yourself giving yourself to the Lord, you'll find that He is worth it. He is worthy. That He is worth anything that comes your way. There have been times when I've been in crowds and I've been around friends of, the, of times past and they might have mocked me, they might have made fun of me. I'm sure that there are some that even do it to this day behind my back. But hey, I don't care because He's so much greater. He's worth it. And this is a word of agony if you were to think about it that way. There were some who were willing to die than attribute the title Lord to one who was not Lord at all. I mentioned this in our Sunday school hour, but Daniel was unwilling to defile himself with the king's meat. When you go through and you think about Joseph, Joseph unwilling to defile himself by going against his master. And what a testimony through the scripture that we find in verse number four where it says, But there is none other God but one. You see, those of the Roman time understood that there was only one God. And they weren't willing that they would even sacrifice just that one statement, that one ounce of time, if it meant that they were going to die for their faith, and they were going to die for their faith and go be with their Savior. 
There was one individual who was talking about this, and as he was dealing with this subject, he made this statement. You see, in history, you'll find that there are many people who disagree or hate this name, Lord, hate the name Jesus. He said, atheists will attack his name, blasphemers will belittle his name, scoffers will scorn his name, mockers will mock his name and his children, haters will heckle his name and his followers, sinners will spurn his name in the way of salvation, rebels will resist his name and his way. But I remind you this morning, and he reiterates, he is still Lord. And I remind you this morning that as we come to the house of God this morning and as you think about the title, Lord Jesus Christ, He is your Lord. And as a child of God, you ought to rejoice in the simple fact that, hey, there are some, as you go and you look at British culture, you look at English culture, you look at different cultures across the world, they might proclaim someone to be Lord, but there is only one Lord, and His name is Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter number 2, verses 9 and 11, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and the earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, there's coming a day when all the skeptics, all the scoffers are going to change their tune because they're going to meet Jesus face to face. But here's my question, and this is the question that I have for every single one of you. This is a question that the Lord has convicted me of. I pray that I can reach as many of those scoffers, as many of those skeptics before they actually have to face that reality and lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you to have that same desire that, Lord, put some of those scoffers, put some of those people in my way that I can show them the true way. Verse number 6, the Bible says, But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. This morning you may be discouraged. You may be down, you may be defeated, you may be depressed, you may be going through something and you say, I just don't understand, but can I remind you, our God is not discouraged. Our God is not defeated, our God is not depressed, our God is not going through, and He's looking at the circumstances and saying, what am I going to do? No, God is so far out in advance that He knows everything that's going to take place before it ever does. In Colossians chapter number 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, For by Him were all things created, and that in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, or principalities or powers all things were created by him and for him and he is before all things and by all things him consists not only did he create everything but we find out in scripture that he also knows everything the bible says in matthew chapter number nine verse number four and jesus knowing their thoughts said wherefore think ye evil in your hearts psalm 139 verse number two thou knowest my down sitting and my uprising and thou understandest my thoughts afar off could I encourage you this morning, that's your Lord. The Lord that I'm speaking of is the Lord that knows every single thing about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're facing. He knows what your concerns are. He knows what your prayers are. He knows all of the things about you even before you know it. And I love coming to that reality that there are things that are going to be in my life and things ahead of me and days ahead of me and, and uncertain circumstances and pleasant times and mountaintops and valleys and, and, and times of rejoicing and times of weeping and all of those many things. And God already knows about it. I am sitting here in my chair at home and as I'm studying and as I'm reading these verses and I'm studying to come to understand that, hey, that is my Lord. 
There are some who are walking through hopelessly in this world and saying, hey, we have no hope, we have no God, we have, our God doesn't answer, our Lord, where is He? But there's never been a time in my life where I said, you know what, God wasn't there. Even in times of difficulty and decisions that were being made and they were hard, God's always been present. And we find that to be true. Number two, we see the title given not only Lord, but also Jesus. You see, the name Jesus speaks of Jehovah's salvation. We find in Scripture that He is the Savior of mankind. We find that also in Scripture all throughout the New Testament. You find it also in the Old Testament being made references to. In the New Testament, you come and you are introduced to this one Jesus. You're introduced to Him in John chapter number 3, verse number 16, where it talks about Him coming. He was born to die, if you would. And for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He is the Savior of the world, Savior of mankind. But also in Second Peter, verse number 3, or in verse number 9, chapter number 3, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing, notice the statement, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John, chapter number 3, verse number 36, he that believeth on the Son of He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. You think about these things. Jesus is the Savior of the world. If you were to go and you were to open up the Word of God, you'll find that the focal point is on Jesus. The emphasis is on Jesus. And that's a testimony for the child of God this morning that if the focal point is so important that the focal point in Scripture is on Jesus, then why is He not the focal point oftentimes in our own lives? Whenever I'm trying to figure out what to do, do I ever consider what would the Lord have for me to do? Whenever I find myself reading Scripture, am I trying to find something or am I trying to find Him? Whenever I'm opening the Word of God, am I trying to find a message for myself or am I finding a message that is given from God? Oftentimes we struggle and we wrestle with this and He is the focal point. You see, as a man, he got tired. But as God, the Word of God tells us that he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, as a man, he wept at Lazarus' grave, but as God, he raised him from the dead. As a man, he got hungry, but as God, he fed thousands with a little boy's lunch. As a man, he was tempted, but as God, he was and is without sin. And that's our God. That's Jesus. When you open the Word of God, and, and, and I, I find myself doing this, and I, I have some books at the house. I love reading books and highlighting and, and doing all those many things. And there's a, a book that I'm currently reading, and the book is, is dealing with that. I've, I've had it for probably six or seven years now. And the book is entitled, The Jesus I Met. And as you think about that, every single one of us have a different testimony. Sometimes we... You know, grew up in church and, and all those many times, but the book is not talking about when you found out about Jesus. It's not what it's dealing with. No, the statement that Jesus I met, as he is dealing with this in this book, is he is dealing with the moment that he accepted Christ as his personal Savior. And he goes on as he begins to talk about this, and as he's, as he's dealing with this, he's dealing with all the many times in his own life where he had known about Jesus. Oh, he knew all the miracles. He, he knew all the, the, the times in which God, or the, when Jesus was doing something in his earthly ministry. He, he heard about the, the feeding of the thousands. He heard about the walking on the water. He heard about all the, the healing of people. He heard all about those things. 
He, he remembered growing up and, and watching his parents share prayer requests and those prayer requests being, he knew all of those things. He heard about all of those things. The truth of the matter was, he hadn't met Jesus yet. You see, in, in many of our lives, we come across people and we live in the Bible Belt where people will say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I, I know about Jesus. Can I remind you this morning that there's a difference in knowing about Jesus and truly knowing Jesus? And there's even more of a difference in knowing Jesus and simply saying, you know what, I'm saved and that's it, and actually having a deep relationship with your Savior. The truth of the matter is many of us forego anything further with developing our relationship with Christ after we accept Him as our personal Savior. And I am sad to say that I've come in contact with people, I've experienced my own self where I've been guilty of this, where I've said, you know what, how much more could I have given to God? And I'm coming to the point in my own life where at the end of each year, and you think about this, every single year people have new goals and ambitions. And many times as Christians we start off and we say, hey, I want to I read my Bible. I want to have a prayer life. I want to be a faithful Christian. I want to do all these things. And at what point does it begin to fizzle off? And truth of the matter is, in our lives, if you ever want to get past the point of being a fizzling Christian, then you have to come to the reality that you have to have a personal relationship. Listen, it's, it's what is today? It's uh, the 5th of September. Don't wait until January 1st to make that decision. And don't say, you know what, I'll, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the I'll start on Monday syndrome. I'll start on in January syndrome. No, 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 start today and watch what God could do. We see Him as Jesus. What a wonderful title. And then we see Him as Christ. The word Christ, the title Christ, speaks of Messiah. If you were to go to the book of Revelation, you'll find that John himself devotes an entire chapter to describing this one Christ. If you were to go and you were to walk through, uh, through history, you'll find that there are people who will not speak of the name Jesus, but do use the name Christ. And they will talk about that sometimes, and they won't argue with you as many times about that. But this morning, as we come to this last title, Christ, as you think about that, and you think about the Messiah, as you think about the Old Testament, and the many times in which they were talking about and proclaiming that the Messiah is coming, that one day He came. As He came, He was born... He walked on this earth for an earthly ministry for a period of time. He died on a cross for you and for me. But can I remind you, as a child of God, that's not where the story ends. Can I remind you and rejoice with you this morning that He's coming again? What a day that will be. And I want to encourage you this morning as you come to uncertain circumstances, as you come to days in which we're living today, and you say, you know what? Times are just getting so much worse. Remind yourself this morning to look unto Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, the Bible says this in verse number 4, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things which are offered in sacrifices unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods, many, and lords, many, but to us there is but one God, Father, whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Could I encourage you this morning, as a child of God, to rejoice in the three names, Lord Jesus Christ. He is your Lord. He is Jesus Christ. Go and tell someone else about Him. Lord, we do thank You. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness. Lord, this morning, for the one who's discouraged, I pray that they'd look to You. For the one who's hurting, I pray that they'd come to You. 
For the one who's distracted, I pray that they'd find themselves once again walking with you. Lord, there are so many times in our own lives, Lord, where we find ourselves distracted and discouraged. And Lord, at the root of all of that discouragement, at the root of all of that depression, is that we haven't found ourselves yielded to you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you'd help us to once again come back to you. Lord, I pray that you would relieve all of the fear, relieve all of the discomfort, and help us to rest in you. God, use us for what you have for us, and we'll thank you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.